Good morning. Uh, Zedwick's here today? I don't see Luke. No? How'd Luke do last week? He's not here, so you guys can be honest. He's probably here. He's standing out back. Great. I heard great. Well, I heard he did great. I haven't listened to it yet. Um, So last week, I was not here. I was out of state with my family, having some restful beach time. Uh, My sister lives on Oahu, so we went to see her and my brother-in-law and my little nieces and nephews for a week and a half, so that was really good. We got back Friday morning, uh, walked off the plane plane to 40 degrees and rainy, and it was awful, Um, but we're acclimating again, so that's good. But I am really, really, really happy to be back with you guys for a lot of reasons. Um, This is... This series that we do every year, Advent, is probably one of my favorites um, for a lot of reasons. Um, And I usually start this series with um, this story, and I think it would not be an Advent series if I didn't. Uh, Every year, my wife starts to get antsy and starts to kind of start uh, sprinkling in Christmas music right around the 1st of October. Uh, and And we have this tug of war, and I'm like, it's not Christmas. It's, it's still sunny outside. It's not Christmas. And so we kind of have this tug of war about, like, I'm like, Christmas is a day, not, a, not two months. Um, that's kind of my stance, and she's in the other extreme, so we're tr- kind of trying to learn to meet in the middle. Uh, but it was really weird this year because we left before Thanksgiving, so we did Thanksgiving with my sister in Hawaii, uh, had Kahlua pork for Thanksgiving. That was weird. No mashed potatoes. That was weird. Um, But then we got home, and there were Christmas lights everywhere. And it it just kind of threw both of us because it was like, you know, fall, getting ready for Thanksgiving when we left, and we came home, and bam, it's Christmas time. So uh, I actually had to mention to her, Saturday morning, we're drinking coffee, and I was like, you know, you, you can play Christmas music now. And she was like, oh, yeah. So this year was a little bit odd. I felt like we, we kind of reversed a little bit. Uh, but one of the things I've gotten convicted o- over, of over the last probably five or six years is um, my, my, I don't know how to say this, my Scroogeful attitude. Is that right? Scroogeful? Scrooge-ish? Anyhow. Um, and, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today, kind of why I got convicted of that and how I feel like God has given me new eyes to see the season of Christmas. Um, We kind of all just assume that we know, and the world assumes they know the Christmas story. Yeah, baby Jesus in a manger, right? You know, three wise men shepherds and um, gold and and frankincense and myrrh, and there's a star in the sky, and oh, oh, and there's presents, and St. Nick, and... Uh, Santa Claus, and right, and on and on it goes. So our culture, our world, assumes they know the Christmas story. But when we read um, my favorite, my favorite Christmas story, it's not really a Christmas story, but my favorite account of the story of Christmas is in the beginning of the book of the Gospel of John. Most of the other Gospels actually walk through the Christmas story and the birth of Jesus, but John starts a little bit differently. John chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So one of the, this is why this is my favorite. John doesn't start with shepherds. John doesn't start with uh, donkeys or wise men or no room in the inn or even with Mary and Joseph. Where does John start? He uses the same phrase that we get in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning. And the reason John uses this, and this is what has made me kind of change my view of, like, I mean, you I'll just say this. You want to listen to Christmas music in June? Go for it. That's how huge I think the scope of Christmas is. Like, it's changed me that much. I'll listen to Christmas music all year round. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts there instead of Mary and Joseph. And the point he's trying to make by starting in the beginning is that the story of Christmas is so much bigger than December 25th. The story of Christmas is so much bigger than the month of December. The story of Christmas is so much bigger than one season or even one year. The story of Christmas, according to John, started when? In the beginning. And that's part of what makes Christmas and what makes this idea that, that when, when we say Advent, right? We're doing an Advent series. So Advent means it's, it's a coronation. It's a coming of a king. And we're celebrating that. And so for us to celebrate that might look differently than what it looked like uh, 2,000 years ago. But at its core, it's the same because it didn't start 2,000 years ago. It started long before, in the beginning. John refers to Christ as the Word. Okay, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He refers to Jesus as the Word three times in the first verse. The word that's translated word there is actually the Greek word logos, and what it means is uh, it's God's sovereign declaration of what will happen. It is the Word of God. So Jesus is uh, the embodiment of the sovereign declaration of God of what will happen. And John says, when did it start? In the beginning. And we're going to get into all the implications, maybe not all of them, but a lot of the implications of why this is so huge for us as we put up lights and as we put up trees. And again, even as we're vacationing in the summertime, this is huge for us. So much bigger. And this is one of the things I love about the Christmas story and the story of Jesus and the story of Advent is that it's not just the first couple chapters of the Gospels. Okay, The entire Old Testament, as John says, right, in the beginning was the Word. The entire Old Testament is telling this story. The entire Old Testament is looking forward to this story. And we get clues, and we get phrases, and we get words and verses that kind of give us hints about what was going to happen. Now, we have the privileged position of looking back on all of it and then having the New Testament to go, oh, yep, I see where this, where Isaiah was saying this, and it was fulfilled here, and, and Amos was saying this, and this guy was saying this, and this guy was saying this. Uh, the, the, the writers of the Old Testament and even the people in Jesus' day didn't have the position that we have today. 
but they had the writings of the Old Testament constantly giving them hints and giving them clues about what was to come. And John is again making that statement saying, no, 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 it wasn't what was to come. I mean, it was in our sense of how time works, but as far as God is concerned, it was done a long, long time ago. In the beginning was the Word. And one of the major implications that we have to wrap our minds around, and we talk about this quite a bit, is that Jesus being born as a baby, living his life, and dying a brutal death on a cross was not plan B. It was not a reaction to our sin and our rebellion. It was the plan from the beginning. It was God's sovereign declaration in the beginning. And all throughout the Old Testament, we saw these clues. This will happen. This will happen. This will happen. He will come. He will do this. He will do this. And all of these things add up in Jesus. And we can, we can talk about, and we have in the past, like the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament pertaining to the Messiah and the odds that Jesus fulfilled even a handful of those is unbelievably astronomical. And yet he fulfilled every single one of them. And John says, in the beginning. This plan started in the beginning. The other thing that we see throughout the Old Testament is our need for this, right? When we look at the heroes of the Old Testament, at best, they were helpless, right? In, in, in Hebrews, uh, I think it's chapter 12, we have the, what we call the hall of faith. And when it says, like he goes through all of these men who did these great deeds. And when we go back and read in the Old Testament the stories of these men, we go, really, this guy? I mean, they were massive screw-ups. Like most of us, let's be honest, most of us make them look JV. At least in our own minds. But the Old Testament consistently and overwhelmingly reveals our need for God. And at the same time, consistently and overwhelmingly, continually points out the fact that he was coming, that he would send a Savior. And the Israelites were constantly looking forward to that. So the Old Testament points to the fact that God is coming and consistently points to our need for him. And it's really interesting to look at the Old Testament and look at our own lives and see a parallel, right? Like the Old Testament consistently and constantly told these stories of these people that, that were helpless without him. And consistently, he stepped in and saved them and delivered them and then said, in the future, there will come a delivery that will deliver you from all sin, not just this situation. And we can look at the Old Testament and we can look at our lives and we can see an amazing parallel there as we look towards this. Ephesians 3.16 says, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Not one time in the Old Testament do we have a story about anybody saving themselves. It's always the intervention of God. 
Sometimes it's, it's through them, through human action. But God is the Savior. He is the Savior. He is the initiator. And that's what makes this idea that this was the plan from the beginning all along and not a reaction to us. I mean, that's a God that I can put my trust in. A God that is never losing control. A God who's never caught off guard by my sin or by anything that could happen in this world. And a God who planned from the beginning to be born as a helpless, defenseless baby. To live a vulnerable life of a human and die a brutal death. And have that have been the plan all along. Because of love. That's a season worth celebrating all year. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this month. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Isaiah chapter 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So here's what, here's what Isaiah is saying there. So the, the kingdom of David, right? David came to power, and, and God made a promise to David that his kingdom would last forever. And then what happened a few generations later? It was gone. The Israelites, the kingdom had split in two. There was rebellion. There was civil war. And eventually, the, the, the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah, the, the two parts of Israel that had split, both rebelled against God and were sent into exile. And the kingdom was, as far as they were able to see, over. And yet, Isaiah said, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. So Jesse uh, had David. David had Solomon. So there was the, the patriarch of this particular family line that was cut off. And Isaiah said, there will come forth a shoot. There will be new life from this dead tree. Pointing to Christmas. Which again, John says started when? In the beginning. This is amazing truth. And I'm going to say this over and over and over because I want us to understand that God's plan for our salvation, the plan for the restoration of all creation didn't happen as a result of God's reaction to our sin or the brokenness of this world. It was the plan all along. That's what makes Christmas so wonderful. And that's what is so sad about the way that our world celebrates it. Not because they're missing out on the baby. It's not Xmas, it's Christmas. I understand. But it's like our world is missing so much more than just Christ being at the center of Christmas. They're missing so much more than that. It's so much bigger than just one day. Back to John chapter 1. Verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here's what's interesting about this. In, again, in John's gospel Christmas story here, we have in the beginning, and then by verse 14, he is moved to the present. He said, 
and the word became flesh. This is, this is Jesus in a manger. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. So John, in that, like, in that one sentence, just went through Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. Okay? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus lived as a human, and we have seen his glory. When did they see his glory? When he rose from the grave. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now, the in the beginning word of God and the hope that had been pointed forward to all throughout the Old Testament, John said in these verses, has now become a present reality. It's no longer, we are no longer looking forward to this. It is here. It's here. And so what the mistake that we make now is that we go, yeah, it was back then. And John's saying, no, 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 it's here. Whether you live 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, or today, it is here. We have not moved past that. We will never move past that. The hope for all humanity is here. And that's the amazing thing about what John is saying is that it was always here. That's why in the beginning is so significant. It was never, it was never not going to happen. There, there, this hope never wasn't only a possibility. It was a sure, sovereign declaration from God. Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. One of the, uh, I'm really excited about this spring. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm really excited about the spring, um, the series, some of the sermon series that we have planned. Uh, we're going to get into some uh, specific doctrines. Uh, and one of the doctrines that, um, that on the surface can seem kind of ugly, that I think is so unbelievably beautiful, is the doctrine, it's referred to as the doctrine of total depravity. This idea that outside of God's sovereign grace in our lives, we are utterly and completely dead and lost. And there is no way for us to save ourselves. And that's what I love about Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of what? Because I chose to accept him into my heart? No. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The Christmas story is not the story of God giving us a choice. It's the story of God saving us despite our choices. That's the story of Christmas. And he started when? In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. But Jesus isn't just a word or a collection of words. The word there is singular. Logos is used singularly. Jesus is the word. There is no other word. There is no other way. Jesus is the word. And he has been the word from the beginning of time. 
I hope that we're starting to see uh, or at least be refreshed with the idea of how huge and cosmic all of this is. This giant plan of God, this giant God, this sovereign God who holds the universe in his hands became a helpless and vulnerable baby. Not a baby that if you laid a hand on him would, like, would go jujitsu on you. Like, he's a helpless baby. Like, he, he was an actual baby. Like, we have some babies in here. Like, they are vulnerable. They depend on others for all of their needs. The God of the universe became one of these. That's amazing. And it was the plan from the beginning. John also refers to Jesus as the light. In verse 5, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love uh, the way that God has woven this truth into nature. When the sun rises, what happens to the darkness? It flees. There's not this decision made at morning where the darkness goes, mm, I don't know, like, right? I mean, at its essence, light is the absence of darkness, and darkness is simply the absence of light. There's not a battle between the two. When light is present, darkness leaves. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There is, no, there is no cosmic battle. I mean, there are cosmic battles taking place between the forces of heaven and the forces of hell, but the war has already been won. Make no mistake. And when was it won? In the beginning. Like, there was never a doubt. Christmas is just another step in the victory march of God and him bringing his family home. There was never any doubt. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 29 says, For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. John 1, 5 again, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word that... Translated overcome there um, can be translated a couple different ways. In fact, some of your versions actually might say comprehend. Uh, the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, cannot comprehend it. And that's a good translation. Uh, because if we really think about this uh, in terms of uh, uh, humanity, right? We get so frustrated by the fact that the world doesn't get Christmas. But the Bible over and over and over speaks of the fact that outside of the grace of God, they can't. In fact, I was just reading this week in in 1 Corinthians where uh, it says that God actually chooses the foolish to shame the wise. And he talks, Paul talks over and over in that chapter about how what the world would see as wise, God chose to reject. 
And over and over and over we see in Scripture that outside of the grace of God, humanity doesn't get it and can't get it. We cannot understand the things of God outside of the grace of God. We can't. So if we read that verse in that way, it, it, it gives us a clear meaning. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, or the darkness has not, has not comprehended it. What's the darkness? Is it Satan? Right? Again, according, according to what we believe about our state outside of Christ, the darkness is us. And yet, the light shines into the darkness. God shines a light where there was none, and the darkness flees. Romans 1.19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Who's them? Those that don't know Jesus. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his Invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Now that's one of the, f- the funniest things in Scripture and one of the most tragic things in Scripture. Think about what Paul just said. For his invisible attributes... Now, when you say something's invisible, what does it mean? It can't be seen, right? He says his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. What does that mean? It means that even though you can't see what we would want to see when we think of a manifestation of God's uh, eternal power and divine nature, when we look around us, we see it everywhere. Like when, when you think about the mathematics behind the solar system and the way it works, right, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived. When we look around and when we study the human body, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived. When we look at at cells through a microscope, God's eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived. Have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's grace has been made available to us and it was made available in the beginning. 1 Samuel chapter 2. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. We can't save ourselves. We never could. And that was never the plan. God never expected you to save yourself. And he still doesn't. God never expected you to measure up. And he still doesn't. There was never a point in history when God expected you or any other person to measure up. The plan from the beginning was for him to save us. For him to bring us back to himself. 1 John chapter 4. 
And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The amazing truth about Christmas is not simple, and yet it is. It is giant. It is cosmic. And it started so many years ago. In the beginning. And yet it's so simple. It's so simple. And the simplicity of it is is simply that God created Everything for the purpose of saving it. For his pleasure, or for his glory, and for our pleasure, and for our ultimate fulfillment in him. That was always the plan in the beginning. As we wrap presents, as we shop, as we visit family, Like everything that we see has to be through these lenses. As we as we visit with lost family, I hope that we can see them through different eyes this year. As we as we get frustrated at traffic, at the malls, at the commercialization of Christmas, hopefully we can see it through different eyes. And we can have compassion on those around us that don't see it because they can't. Hopefully we are driven to prayer to pray for those around us that don't understand the story of Christmas. Hopefully we are driven to prayer that God would open up our own eyes that we would see more clearly the things that he has done. I want us to celebrate Christmas differently. I want to celebrate Christmas differently. I don't want to get annoyed at Christmas music because it's not Christmas time yet. I want to celebrate Christmas music whether I hear it in June or in December because of the truth of the words that are being spoken. Not all Christmas music, right? There's some Christmas music that just needs to be forgotten. We had that conversation this morning. Like, baby, it's cold outside? Like, I wish that we could just wipe everyone's memory of that song. That's not Christmas. And yet you're all humming it in your head right now. I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what you have done. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your words that tell us exactly what your plan was and what your plan is. Thank you that we can stand firm in our faith in you because of who you are and what you do. Thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for your light. We ask, Father, that this month, this season, that your light would shine brightly. God, as we pray for those around us that don't know you, Father, we all have names in our heads. We ask that your light would shine on their hearts. 
And we ask that your light would shine on our hearts more deeply than it has each and every day, Lord. I pray that every light would remind us of you. Every Christmas tree would remind us of your cross. Every song would remind us of your love. Every present would remind us of your gift. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Guys are going to sing. I can say guys because Olivia's not here. Like every time I say guys, I'm like, ugh, Olivia. Like, hope Olivia doesn't take offense to that. She's not here, so I can say guys with a clear conscience. The guys are going to sing, and, and we're going to take communion. So as, as we worship, I would just invite you to come up when you're ready and celebrate what God planned from the beginning. His body that was broken and his blood that was shed that washes away our sins. Not as a response to us, but as a loving, initiating, all-powerful God.